unofficial Bengals podcast. Welcome to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review the Bengals game against the Dallas Cowboys, and we're going to preview the upcoming game against the Jets. Tom McLevy is going to stop in for another McLevy minute, and Justin Lacey is going to come by with his thoughts about the game as well. What's up, guys? This is Evan McPherson, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. This Joe Burrow is something else. There's no quarterback in the league that can do what he's doing. I have never seen a quarterback get attacked this much and still be a winner. He's been sacked 13 times in the first two games, not even including all the hits, not even including him ducking away from so many sacks, and he doesn't pout. He doesn't call anyone out. He still maintains that intensity, and he's never broken. He's never out of it. And yet, in both of these games, where most quarterbacks would not even want to go back out on the field out of fear or out of frustration or out of anger, he goes back out there and brings his team to tie the game and give them a chance to win at the end of the game when no one else could. I mean, these are the things that champions are made of. This is the thing that a hero is made of. Even someone like a Brady or a Rodgers, I, I know they have all the ability in the world and all the poise in the world and game winners and big fourth quarter comebacks, but don't tell me that those two wouldn't be pouting and calling out people and getting ready to phone it in if they were getting pounded like Joe Burrow has and he just does not waver. And this is going to pay off for him. And I'm praying that it's with Cincinnati. And I keep telling myself, this is just a football game, right? It's just a sport. It's for entertainment. But it matters so much to me. I get so down and so angry after these losses. I'm watching this game in total frustration the whole time up until that last drive. I can't even say it was fun. And I look forward to it just like you guys do all week. You just cannot wait for the Bengal game. And here we go, three and a half hours where the rest of the world doesn't matter. And then you have a game like this where it's it's frustration and you're watching your franchise guy getting pounded play after play and you're getting beat by an inferior team. It's just so frustrating. It put me in a bad mood for the rest of the night. All I wanted to do was go to sleep. I got up this morning. I was not in a good mood. I rewatched the game, and um, it was just, it's, it's rough. And I have to keep reminding myself, this is, I'm doing this for entertainment. This is something that should be a happy thing for me to do. And I guess it is, right, when your team's going to the Super Bowl and you're winning all these playoff games and you're having this magic. And I guess it isn't when you're losing two games to teams that you shouldn't lose to and getting frustrated at poor offensive line play for three hours. Week 2 Review Dallas Cowboys 20 Cincinnati Bengals 17 All right, let's start off with some observations. So the first observation is, yes, we are 0-2, but the rest of our division is 1-1. And I know the, the history of teams that go 0-2, your percentage of making the playoffs is greatly diminished and whatnot, but every team is different. Every year is different. It's not just this case history. Oh, it, that's how it was for, for the past, and that's the norm. It just doesn't mean that that's the narrative that the Bengals are going to follow for this year. But the way they've been looking the first two weeks, it's hard to imagine us making a deep run into the playoffs until we fix these vulnerabilities on the offensive line. 
So it's not time to jump ship and bail on the season. There's 15 games left. I mean, in all reality, I know it sounds crazy, but what's to say we couldn't just run off 15 straight wins? I know that's not probable, and that's another improbable thing, just like making the playoffs after 0-2. I guess there's a lot of improbabilities, but anything can happen, and you, you can't just go on past narratives. So let's see what happens. There's plenty of time left. Let's all keep the faith. We have a very good team. There's no reason we can't get back on track and turn this into a productive season and get to where we want to get to. So what's going on with the Bengals right now? Defensively, we're playing exceptionally, so I'm not worried about that. Offensively, we talked about it at the top of the show, we're having severe offensive line issues. And what's going on, teams are looking at that and they're saying, you know what, we don't need to blitz people on the Bengals right now. We can send four guys, and by sending four guys, now you can have two high safeties, and you can have a ton of guys on the back end, and there's very small windows to throw into. So that's really what's going on. Because they're generating pressure with so few men up front, there's a lot of guys in the back, and it's almost impossible to, to make these throws, and it's just it's a losing formula, and we have to find a way to fix it, and it starts with the offensive line obviously protecting better. Once they start protecting better, teams are going to have to do more to, to, to get pressure, and then we can start throwing the ball more efficiently. And it's also a matter of running the ball better. And Mixon has been running very well, but again, with an offensive line that's not playing well, there's not these gaping holes to run through as well. So teams aren't loading the box to stop Mixon because of the blocking up front. And again, that goes back to what I just said. They're basically loading up the back end and making it very difficult to throw the ball in these windows and making it extremely difficult to go over top. And going over top with those long passes was responsible for a lot of our victories last year. And that is just not there right now. And it all starts up front. Other observations, how do you let Micah Parsons beat you this badly? We know he's a superstar, and man, he played so well this game, but you knew it coming in. You're watching tape, you're seeing he had two sacks last game, he had a a defensive rookie of the year season last year. You have to account for him. No matter how good you think your tackles are, you can't just say, well, yep, we're just scheming this play up where it's a one-on-one there, we got that covered, and let's look at the other guys on the field. No, you have to overcompensate and just say, he is not going to beat us. If they're going to beat us, it's going to have to come from the other positions. And we didn't do that this game. They doubled him occasionally, they chipped him occasionally, but there were so many times where he was left one-on-one, And there were times where he was unblocked, and that's unheard of. You cannot do that. Even if it's, even if it's, we're going to throw a screen, let him come in, you're underestimating his speed. You're thinking, you know, that's a play that works on the chalkboard that doesn't work on the field. And that happened a couple times in this game. And then there's mental errors where your offensive lineman forgets to block him and double teams someone else. That's what happened in the Super Bowl, the infamous last play of the game with Aaron Donald. You had Aaron Donald coming in on Quentin Spade. I, I know I keep going back to the Super Bowl because it, it just keeps burning me like I know it burns you guys. But the breakdown of that play was you had Aaron Donald coming in on Quentin Spain, and you had Trey Hopkins just looking for someone else to block. He wasn't blocking anyone until the last second he tried to push Donald. From the get-go of that play, it should have been a double team on Donald, period. 
and that might have given Joe Burrow that extra time to win the game and have one of the greatest Super Bowl moments in history. Same thing with this. You can't just leave Parsons uncovered or one-on-one because it works on the chalkboard. You have to be smart about it. You have to even overcompensate. And as I just said, don't let one guy beat you, especially when you know he's the guy on the defense that can beat you. Yeah, I'm fired up. All right, and you know, historically, I don't know what it is, but we have a hard time against backup quarterbacks and rookie quarterbacks. And this Cooper Rush game was reminiscent of the Mike White Jets game last year, and it's frustrating. And we've seen it happen time after time, even with older Bengals teams. It's not, it's not the narrative of, of the, exactly this defensive group that this group always loses to guys like that. But, I mean, last year, basically the same defense, and Mike White got us. And this year, Cooper Rush got us. In all fairness, Rush knows that offense very well, and he was very accurate. So I can't just say it was luck. He threw the ball very well this game, period. Now going into the actual game. After the Cowboys scored that first touchdown and the Bengals were trotting on the field with the offense, I was like, oh, you guys better look out. Burrow is going to get you. I mean, I thought we were going to win this game by double digits. And, you know, teams, inferior teams sometimes will score on that first drive because they're planning that first drive all week. And I was like, all right, you know, they got us. No big deal. They got their seven. We're going to probably stack up 17, 21 straight points on them. And again, I got cold water thrown on that theory. So that's the way it goes. So we started off the game actually doing the right things. We were safe. We had the, the pass to Mixon on first down, did a couple run plays. We had a quick hitter to chase. So we were doing the things that were going to protect Joe Burrow. And then as the game went on, we started getting away from it because we started getting down. When you're down 14-3, to you start reaching a little bit. You start getting a little more desperate. And now you're having Burrow drop back and trying to get the ball down the field more. There were too many third and longs. That's another situation where you can't just dump off the ball to your running back on third and long all the time. It just isn't going to work on a consistent basis. So because of the score, because of the down and distance, We started getting in the position where we had to throw the ball down the field, and then it was tee off on Joe Burrow, and that happened very quickly in the game. Like I said, first drive, kind of careful. Look, we moved the ball downfield. We got a a quick field goal, you know, kind of went shot for shot with them, and then when they scored that second touchdown, all bets were off, unfortunately. And, man, these defenses are ruthless. They, They just target. I mean, Joe Burrow gets hit enough, but two hits to the head on scrambles, they hit him in the appendix a couple times. Just just no mercy. Because they know. They know. You get Burrow out of the game, and the Bengals are not going to win the game. And sure enough, they were going for it. I mean, we got two 15-yard penalties, which helped. But, man, you just hate to see our franchise guy take those hits like that. Then you saw the audio guy go down on the sideline. Chase bumped into him. And I liked what I saw because Chase, you know, some of the NFL players, they'll bang into someone, even a cheerleader, and they'll just go trotting back on the field. And it's like, man, you're heartless. And you saw Chase was genuinely concerned. He went down to go help the guy up, and then it was taking a little bit too long, and he realized he had to get back on the field because the play clock was going. So I have a lot of respect for him for being a compassionate human being. And the same thing with Mixon. When they actually stopped play, Mixon went over to see if he was all right. So really props to both of those guys for being human beings and caring about people and not just looking at the spectators and the people that are working the game as not even human beings. Dropped interceptions continue to get us. You had Hilton with that one diving. It it was a long shot that he would have caught it, but... Again, you catch that, now you're Pro Bowl caliber. You're a game changer. You don't catch it, 
and their drive continues. You know, that's what happened. Bates had one right in his hands, couldn't reel it in. There was a defensive hold on it, so it wouldn't have counted either way, but you want to see him snag that ball. You want to see, you know, your big-time safety just eat up an easy interception like that. And then Hubbard had one, too, and, you know, he wasn't able to reel it in. I'm not complaining about his game. He had a phenomenal game. But just another example, like if Hubbard grabs that one, that could have changed the course of the game as well. And call me crazy, and you may not agree with what I'm about to say, but at one point in this game, I would have benched a couple of the offensive line starters and just threw in a backup or two. Not for the whole game, just a series or two, just to say, hey, I'm noticing that you're not doing the job, and I'm going to get someone in there who's hungrier and is going to make an attempt, and I'm going to let you watch from the sideline for a series or two just to get perspective back. It's just you can't just fail drive after drive after drive after drive with no consequence. I don't know. Maybe I'm extreme. Maybe it was my emotions getting the better of my common sense. But I would have sat a couple of those linemen, at least for a series. And another thing on the offensive line, and this comes down to coaching. If you're that badly beaten where there's a free rusher going right at Burrow, you got to consider holding the guy. I know it's a drive killer, but you have to think of the big picture. There was two times. You know, there was one on Collins where it was like, man, Parsons could end Joe Burrow's season right now. And there was one on Jonah as well with Parsons where, same thing, it was just a total blindside hit on Joe Burrow. And we all know Joe Burrow has the, the ability to elude, but there's times where it's when it happens that fast, you, you want to consider grabbing the guy or tackling the defender, taking the 10-yard penalty, and saving your season. You're, you know, you're thinking more big picture than small picture. And I know you can't do that repeatedly in a game, but when something happens that quickly and it's that dangerous, you have to think about defending your quarterback at any cost. And what's up with that scoreboard punt? I mean, we all know it hit the scoreboard. They watched it back. I don't know, was it not reviewable? But it was so obvious that it hit the scoreboard and they didn't call it. Did that change the game? Probably not. But it was like, man, that's one where... A million people saw it one way, and the five or six guys on the field didn't didn't catch it. That was just this big floating thing hitting this big thing in the sky. That, that was a tough one for anyone to miss. And the last thing, Jerry Jones put a lot of money into that stadium. It's a palace. It's state-of-the-art. It's perfect. They brag about all the artwork and the architecture and all this, all that. Yet they designed it where... At a certain time of the day, the sun is just bleeding onto the field and blinding everyone. So I don't understand what happened there with all the great minds and the billion dollars that went into that stadium. You would have liked to have think they could have thought that one out ahead of time and thought about the elements and the sun and all that stuff, and they didn't. It's kind of funny, to tell you the truth. On the offensive line coach, though, there were too many free rushers. And those are mental mistakes by your players. You can't say, well, the coach wasn't the one out there making the the error and not blocking, but it's the preparation. It's the preparation for being ready for all the looks that you're going to get in a game, and especially with Micah Parsons, being aware of where he is at all times and saying, all right, this is the play that's called, but sometimes you have to break from the play that's called because you're seeing something visually different. And I think the fact that we're having a lot of missed assignments – Yes, it's the fact that these guys haven't had a lot of time together and maybe not playing in the preseason together hurt us more than we think, but it's also coaching. You know Bill Belichick prepares his team for any scenario. They go overboard with scenarios that will probably never come up, but they seem to be prepared for anything all the time. And we have to get into that, and I think that needs to improve on the offensive line coaching.
And with that, then you want to say that the offensive line isn't prepared properly for these games. And it seems like in the first two games, and they're teams that have very good pass rushes, it just felt like our offensive line was not at the same speed or intensity of the defensive lines and the pass rushers that we faced. And that's something else that comes with coaching. You want to have your guys motivated and ready to go right from the start of the game, not get hit in the mouth and then shake your head a few times woozy and then finally recover later in the game. You got to come out of the gate ready and prepared or else you're going to fall behind in games. And that's exactly what happened in these first two games. And the fact that we fell behind early was directly responsible for us not being able to come back and win the game. And the no Chris Evans is a mystery to me. I know P. Ryan is your number two and he's been very productive in there and he's a better blocker than Evans. But now you're getting to the point where you have to ditch the ball off to the running backs and the running back passes are working better than some of the downfield stuff. Why not try him in there? These defenses have not seen much on him. Pass catching is his specialty. I'm not saying put him in as much as Pirine, but give him a couple snaps a game or give him a couple packages that he appears in. I think it would be worth it. You have a talent on your team that's being very underutilized and at this point in time, and, and it's a talent that, because of the way your line is playing that you kind of need to rely on this skill set, I think you have to use him more. And the last thing on the coaching was when Joe Burrow, you hear him audibly on the TV broadcast yelling to the sideline, no empty, Zach. So Coach Taylor was going to call another empty set, and Joe Burrow was looking and said, no, this isn't going to work. They have more guys than we can block. They have it zoned up properly. There's no quick throw, as Romo said on the broadcast. And he actually had to call a timeout. And he yelled over to the sideline, we can't run that right now. And then they switched out of it, and Burrow still got hit on the next play. So I don't know what to say on that. But to have Joe Burrow say that to Coach Taylor, you really would rather have Coach Taylor have made that observation first. He obviously didn't in this situation. Not a full indictment against him. But I'm glad that Joe was smart enough to realize that. And I'm glad that Coach Taylor listened to him. Man, this is a negative episode, and you know I don't want to be that way. I want this to be fun. It's just tough when you lose these games like this, and I'm taking all these notes, and I'm watching the game, like, wanting something positive to write about, and I'm just seeing all these negatives, and I'm. it's just, I, I have to be fair. I have to report it the way I see it. It's not, I can't just sugarcoat everything. It's not fair to the people who listen for me to do that, so... I'm telling it like it is, and as I'm telling it like it is, I'm getting so angry about it. So forgive me for not being my usual upbeat self. It's just tough after a loss like this. So with that said, let's move on to the game flow a little bit. So what happened was Cowboys come out, Cooper Rush leads a really nice first drive, and again, that's scripted. So I wasn't that worried. I'm thinking they've been planning this all week. They have their first script. Again, I'd said it at the top of the show, bad teams or inferior teams sometimes come out of the gate and score right away, and then they can't repeat that once the game kind of catches up with them. So I wasn't worried about it. But then they did it again on the second drive, and I'm, I was like, all right, you know, this guy isn't as bad as I thought, and you know, now we're down 14-3. to And then the floodgates start opening on our offensive line, so now you're getting, you know, nightmares from the Pittsburgh game. Is this going to re- be a repeat of that? The defense starts buckling down, and if you look at our defense from there, Yes, we let up two touchdowns right away. Rest of the game, they let up six points. And both of those points were due to field position. One of them was a punt return where they had the ball near the 50. And the other one was where we had to punt from inside our 10. 
and then they got the ball up at like the 35 and it didn't take long I mean, that's not phenomenal field position but it didn't take long for them to get into field goal range on that ending desperation last drive so the defense really did its job after the, those first two series and only let up six points so as the game goes by now it's 14 to 3 it's tough to play from a, that kind of deficit especially with no quarterback protection because you're trying to throw yourself back into the game and your offensive line is not doing the job what happens we always talk about scoring before the half and then scoring right out of the half Dallas scores the field goal right before the half killer 17 to 3 at that point and if you look at the final score we lost by 3 so that field goal before the half is often the difference in football games and in this case it was and what burns the most about it is they got the ball with less than a minute to go, and they were able to drive down and, and get that field goal. But then we come out the second half, and we get a field goal of our own. So if you want to play devil's advocate, maybe that neutralized their field goal, and we can't say that that field goal was the reason for losing. But either way, so they did right by scoring at the end of the half. We did right by scoring at the beginning of the half. And then what happens from there, we fight our way back into the into the game. The defense starts locking down. The run game starts working a little bit better. We get two long field goals to make it a one-possession game. Now the Cowboys are driving again. And it's like if they score again, we're down by two possessions. It's getting late. We're probably going to be out of the game. And what happens? A turnover. Von Bell forces that fumble, a huge play in the game, which saved the game. Although we ended up punting on that drive, the main asset of that happening was we prevented them from going up by two scores. So then we go back and forth, punts, and then Burrow works his fourth quarter game on the line magic with this 19-play drive, just that, that total poise. When you're thinking, our offense can't do anything this game, and for some reason with the game on the line, he just wills it to, to do something and wills this team to score and tie the game. Then they get the ball, they punt it to us, and I'm like, all right, we just have to run out the clock. One first down will do it. Unfortunately, we couldn't get that one first down. We punt back to them. So here we are. It's like a lot of ping-pong punting in the second half of this game. And then they have a couple long passes. They get lucky on a tipped ball pass for a big gain, and their kicker ends it with a 50-yarder that almost missed. I, I swear, maybe because I love this team so much, I actually thought he missed it. And I watched like a hawk, but I was—I just saw the, the ball tailing, and maybe my my mind wanted to believe it was a miss. And I was like, "Wait, he missed that!" And the person I was with was like, "No, no, he, they made it." And I was—and I was just—you know—when the game's over, that feeling on a loss when you're like, "All right, we just lost." Oh, I hate it. All right, let's go over some key plays in the game. The first big play was the Cowboys' first touchdown. You know that punch in the face where you just don't expect it so what happened on that play is we had Hilton covering Noah and Hilton blitzed and Jesse Bates was now going to pick up Noah and I saw it he wasn't on his toes he wasn't reacting he just like got flat-footed for a second and then he just couldn't recover and got beat with speed to the corner and there was a, a touchdown seven nothing Cowboys the next big play, unfortunately, was another play from the Cowboys, and that was that big run by Tony Pollard. And what happened on that was the defensive line got blocked, but it was really to the outside, so you're, you're looking for the DBs or the linebackers to make that play. And by the way, everything was blocked up. It looked like Akeem Davis-Gaither's play to make, and he got sealed off, 
And when he got sealed off, that whole mess blocked Logan Wilson as well. Logan Wilson had to go around it. And by then, Pollard was just whipping down the sideline. And Von Bell had to play hero and, and make a big tackle at the, at the one. Of course, they walk in on the next play. But if you really if you watch the tape, that's what happened. Unfortunately, that was on ADG. So the next big play is not until later on in the game, and it was the Von Bell strip. So what happened was Dalton Schultz was sitting down in the zone. He gets a short pass. Wilson comes over and wraps him up. It's going to be a short gain. And then Von Bell helps out and punches the ball out. Total awareness. The ball bounces on the ground, and then DJ Reader picks it up. And you know why DJ Reader had a shot on that? You're thinking about it. That's a pass play. DJ Reader's heading towards the quarterback. What's he doing back there helping out? You know what? That's hustle. That's what you call hustle. That's not a player that just rushes in and I'm out of the play. You see, he, he moves towards the ball. He sees the pass go off. He runs back towards the ball. That's what a Pro Bowl player is made of, and that's why he was in a position to get a fumble recovery. Big play in the game, big play for his stat line, and totally deserved because he hustled to the ball. Great punch out by Von Bell. He's notorious for doing that, and this was huge in this situation because, again, it saved us from going down by two scores. And then for the fourth big play, I'm going to actually call that the 19-play drive. So it was 19 plays, 83 yards, 9 minutes off the clock, and that was just Joe Burrow at his finest. If you break down the 19 plays, there were six runs, 13 passes. There were three third-down conversions and a fourth-down conversion. And that fourth-down conversion was the slant to chase. Unbelievable concentration. Joe Burrow put it in there. Diggs was right on him. I thought at the time that Diggs had knocked it away. But just having the strong hands and the concentration to pull that in in a huge moment in the game was absolutely incredible. And again, stuff that the best players in the league are made of. And if you watched on the back end of that play, or on the front end, whatever you want to call it, Jonah got knocked back badly by Parsons, and Burrow got slammed to the ground. So, phenomenal play by Burrow, phenomenal play by Chase, and Burrow still takes a hit that would have knocked most people out of the game. Another big play on that drive was the Higgins TD. So you had Higgins and Hurst on the right, and Burrow's rolling right, and why didn't we do that more this game? I just don't understand why we didn't roll Burrow out. In my last podcast, I called out for that. I said, we got to move the pocket with Burrow, even roll him towards Parsons, maybe even have like a tight end come in and or a wide receiver in motion and, and chip Parsons from the side like that and uh, enable Burrow to get outside and be able to throw downfield. So this was one of the few times in the game where it was a rollout, and I believe it was drawn up that way. So what happens is you have Hurst sit down in the front of the end zone, and he had two defenders come up and double-team him, Parsons being one of them, and then that left Higgins in the back one-on-one for an out, and that one-on-one with Higgins out there, there's not many guys that are going to cover him like that, so that's why we had the touchdown. The fault of the Cowboys on that, they only had a three-man rush, and they dropped Parsons in coverage. Now, I know you're down in the goal line, you want to scheme things up a certain way, but what was working the whole game was a four-man rush with Parsons making life miserable for Joe Burrow. And in this case, they abandoned it at a very key time in the game, and it burned them. And then the last big play from this huge drive was Boyd with the two-pointer. You had Chase and Boyd on the left. Chase gets doubled on the outside, and that's what the Steelers didn't do properly last week, and that enabled Chase to tie the game and almost win the game for us. So the Cowboys did it the right way and doubled Chase. But in doing so, Boyd was left one-on-one with a safety, 
and Boyd does an out from the middle of the field, I'll call it. That's the way the terminology that I would refer to it as. So he just runs straight up at the safety and just heads towards the sideline. Safety couldn't keep up with him. Wide open, two-pointer, ties the game, celebration time. And moving on to the last, I guess, key play in the game, and this was in the Cowboys' favor, unfortunately, again. And it was when they had that punt that drove us back inside the 10 at the end. We weren't able to get the first down or run out the clock. And then it gave them a short field. They were able to get a couple of nice plays. One lucky tip play that the ball just happened to bounce their way. And they got the 50-yarder for the win. And here we are. All right, a quick review of our first drive of the second half. There's so many plays here. Normally, I'll say the play and talk about the strategy behind it and why I liked it or didn't like it. But I'm just going to fly through these just so you can get a feel of what we did out of the locker room. So we go mix and right with three tight ends for 11 yards. Then we go mix and left for six yards. Then we have three wide receivers, and it's an incomplete slant to Higgins. Burrow got drilled by Parsons, virtually untouched by Collins. Play four was an out to Mixon, but there was a miscommunication where Mixon kind of turned in and Burrow threw it to the outside, incomplete. So now we're forced to punt. The Cowboys are off sides on the punt, first down. So in the next play, we have new life. We send Mixon to the right with three tight ends, but there's an illegal formation on Wilcox that turns into a nine-yard mistake because it would have been a four-yard gain. Instead, it was a five-yard loss. That's a a nine-yard differential there. And that's an inexcusable mistake because you know that you can't cover up a tight end or you can't cover up someone that's on the line. And if you know that you're the second tight end in a formation and the guy next to you is on the line, you have to drop back a step. It's a bad mental error by Wilcox and, again, something that the coaching staff needs to make sure never happens. Next play, Burrow sacked instantly. Next play, Burrow 15-yard pass to Boyd on a turnaround. Then you have Higgins, a slant, catch and run, mix and right for two yards, then an out to chase, which was a drop, tough catch anyway. Then you had a Collins false start, now it's third and 13. A quick turnaround to Higgins for six. It was third and 13, it was kind of a give up play at that point. I, I think we were a little shell-shocked and didn't think we could push the ball down the field. So now we're playing for a field goal there. So a short pass to Higgins that really wasn't even destined to make a first down. And then the 14th play of this was a McPherson 50-yard field goal. So that's how we came out of the gate in the second half. And now on to the sacks. The thing that we want to talk about, you know, we want to complain about the offensive line. I'm mad at the offensive line once again, and I don't want to single out guys and criticize people publicly and get on our players. You know, the usual thing I say, it's the truth, but I'm just reporting what I saw. And it wasn't just the sacks too, but it was the the hits and the pressures, it was just nonstop the whole game. And I just hate to keep seeing it. And it's just, it's been all I've been seeing this season. All right, the first sack. Collins got knocked around and it forced Burrow off his mark. And Karras and Volson were double teaming a stunter. Volson left his block and the guy that was stunting kept persevering, pursued Burrow. Parsons kept coming and that was the sack. I guess you put that one on Collins. Next one was play action. Jonah leaves Sample one-on-one to block Armstrong and helps out inside, but not really even helping. He's blocking no one. And Sample gets destroyed, and that one's on Sample, but also on Jonah as well. Third one, Kappel loses his guy on the spin move, and the guy knocks the ball out when Joe Burrow's scrambling. 
the ball got knocked forward and Mixon recovered it over Parsons. Nice recovery by Mixon, but they bring it back to the spot of the fumble. The spot of the fumble was behind the line of scrimmage, so that's a sack, and that unfortunately goes against Kappa, who I felt had a good game. The fourth sack, 39, four-man rush, coverage sack. It was Jonah's guy, and we had five guys that couldn't block four, but I felt it was a coaching error. It was a 39, and it, it was set up where Burrow couldn't get rid of the ball quickly enough. There was Everybody was too far downfield. I know you need nine yards, but I, I felt that they could have schemed up something to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker on that. So it was Jonah's guy, but I'm going to say that's a coverage sack, and on the coaching staff, unfortunately. The fifth sack, Jonah was beaten by the speed and power of Parsons. Burrow gets drilled from the blind side. That's on Jonah. And on the sixth one, they sent three guys only, and they dropped the two linebackers kind of in the middle of the field. Collins gets beaten by Parsons. Burrow's forced to scramble up into the pocket, and where he scrambles, there's two linebackers waiting. Every receiver was way downfield except Mixon, but Mixon's blocking and having a rough time as well, unfortunately. And the linebackers just wait for Burrow to come up, and Van Der Esch gets the sack. That one, technically it's on Collins because Parsons forced everything up, but also on the coaching as well because there was nowhere to throw quickly, and literally everyone was way downfield. So that was destined to fail with the way the game was going. And the Cowboys outsmarted us on that play. So those are the six sacks. And I'm not even going to go into the story behind the pressures and the hits, but it's more of the same stuff that I just mentioned here. Individual performances, we talked about Joe Burrow and everything that he did with what little he had to work with. I think his scrambling is just getting better and better, and his elusiveness is so good too. You know, it's just not fair what's been happening to him these first two games, but you know, that's that's what I have on Joe Burrow for this. Running back, Mixon continues to make big plays receiving out of the backfield. There weren't a lot of big holes to run through. He still had 57 yards, but it amounted to three yards a carry. Wide receivers and tight ends, they all did what they could given the circumstances, and all of them had clutch plays. It wasn't a typical Bengal game where we're throwing the ball all over the place and we're all putting up monopoly numbers. You know, Chase had that huge fourth down catch, a bunch of other first down catches, did everything he could. Higgins had a nice 16-yarder, a 19-yarder, the touchdown, another first down catch. So he performed as well as he possibly could. Boyd had a big first down catch, a two-pointer. Hurst is continuing to high point the ball. He had two big first down catches on that last drive. And really, no one else had receptions. Wilcox had one, Sample had one, and then there was the running backs with some. But the other wide receivers, nothing out of Taylor, nothing out of Thomas. They didn't use anybody else for at least pass catching, but they really couldn't find anybody else because there was no time to. Karras continues to play excellently. He is the best offensive lineman on this team right now. He's just as advertised, and I didn't see him make any mistakes in this game. And Kappa, the same thing. I know he let up a sack, and he had the one false start, so I guess you could give him two blemishes, but I still think that he played well. Defensively, DJ Reader was phenomenal, a Pro Bowl-type game. He was making all the tackles, stopping the run. We really shut down the run except for a few big ones. Reader had the fumble recovery. He was just all over the field. B.J. Hill had a great game silently. He was in there very active. Hubbard, too. Again, he keeps getting better as the game goes on, and he had a sack, a pressure, 
a tackle for a loss, and an almost interception, all like near the end of the game. So it shows his motor doesn't stop. His conditioning is incredible, and it's really showing up late in these games. And I thought he's had two very good games this season so far. Hendrickson continues to get all the attention. He's disruptive. You're not seeing the sack numbers yet, but you will because his motor doesn't stop either, and he's strong as an ox. He had a big tackle for a loss on Elliott, which was the equivalent of a sack, and I thought he played a good game. I didn't see anything that he was doing wrong either. The backups are a little bit quiet. Osai had one pressure. Tupo has been solid. He had some tackles and you know some assists in the run game. You didn't see much out of Carter. I didn't see Gunter on the field at all. I didn't see much of Sample, or when I did, I didn't see him really do that much. So not that much out of the backup defensive lineman, unfortunately. Linebacker, Wilson had a good game. Pratt had a good game. Marcus Bailey was good in limited duty. Defensive backs, Hilton continues to tackle well. Some lapses in coverage, but still a very good player for us. Awuzie is playing at a Pro Bowl level. Bates, I think he's a little bit rusty. We talked about him giving up the touchdown. There was a fourth and two where he covered the wrong guy. There was like they were in a zone and he came up to cover the tight end and he let the receiver get behind him where there was someone else that had the tight end. It was just a a mistake in zone there. And he also had a missed tackle in the run game to put Dallas in field goal range. So three negative plays on Jesse, unfortunately. Von Bell, very active, huge strip. He was all over the field and his strip saved the game. So a good outing out of him. Eli Apple was solid. He got beaten a couple times by Noah Brown for big first downs. He had a holding call, but for the most part, he locked down and did his job. So, you know, I I wouldn't give him an A for this game, but I thought he had a decent game. You know, there's corners that get blown up constantly, and that wasn't the case for him. Special teams, McPherson continues to keep us in games. A 43-yarder, a 50, and a 46 with a new long snapper. No question that he's going to make these or not. He's just automatic as long as everything goes right in front of him and none of these were easy short field goals so it was nice for him to keep us in nine points that really almost contributed to a win this time Adamitis looked good he was firing that ball back there a couple of the snaps to Huber might not have been totally in the perfect place but they got back there quick and there was plenty of time to get the ball down and the kicks were successful so he's going to get better and better but his velocity on, on jetting the ball back there is, is big time. And you notice it after last week when Wilcox floated that one back. You see a, a major difference when this guy is just whipping him back there with, with confidence. So good outing for him for his first game. It's very encouraging. And on the big punt return by them that where they got to midfield, it resulted in three points. What happened was fl- our gunners, who normally just do the job, and they're excellent top-of-the-league gunners, unfortunately Flowers got blocked. And then you see Clay Johnston got hit from behind, and he falls to the ground, and he slides into Morgan and trips Morgan up. So Morgan probably would have made that tackle, and it wouldn't have been such a big gain, but he got tripped by his own guy. Trent Taylor had one nice return down the sideline, and Kevin Huber had a great punt at the end of the game to drive them back. It went 70-plus yards in the air. So we can talk about him not having that live leg anymore, but this was a huge situation. We're inside our 10, and he just rips one. So, and it ended up a decent return by the returner because sometimes you outkicked your coverage, but he really unloaded in that situation and we really needed him to. But, you know, next week is another week. We all have a chance to bounce back. These guys are going to be watching film. The coaching staff is going to be on them. We have a very winnable game this week against the Jets. 
And all this could go out the window and all this could just be a memory. If we just go out, take care of business, get a big win, now we're one and two and maybe a divisional rival loses. I mean, Cleveland's playing Pittsburgh, so one of them's going to lose. So already with a win, we're catching one of those teams and we'll see what happens with the Ravens. And, you know, it's a long season, plenty of time to catch up. We're very close in this division. We're one game out of it right now with 15 to go. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Well, I could be doing better, Frank. I'm with you. It was a tough weekend to be a Bengals fan. What are your thoughts on the game? You know, it's another loss by three. You know, counting the Super Bowl, you know, they lost their last three games by a total of nine points. You know, you can look at that and say, oh, tough luck. But, you know, now another Sunday, another three-point loss, you know, you got to start pointing the finger at the coaching staff. You got Cooper Rush starting at quarterback for the Cowboys. And what's the first thing inexperienced quarterback wants to do when he gets into a game? Establish the run. And the Bengals had no answers for when they were running the ball, especially in the first half. When they established that run, he started getting comfortable in the pocket. The defense has to be looked at. First off, they got no pressure on the quarterback, let alone sacking him. Last week, the same thing. They could uh, a bad offensive line for Pittsburgh. They, they sacked them once. Yesterday, another bad offensive line. They sacked them once. So, first I'll point the the finger at the defense. The coaching staff got to come up with better plans on that side. Now, the offense. We'll start at the offensive line. You know, we gave them a pass last week. You know, they didn't play preseason together, this and that. What is Frank Pollock doing? I'm speechless at this made-up offensive line that they spent a lot of money on, but same results. I just don't get it. Listen, Joe Burrow is a generational-type player. The last time that was said about a player, going to say it was Andrew Luck. And what happened to Andrew Luck? He walked away because he was getting too many concussions. If this keeps up... Joe Burrow is going to be the same to him. They take concussions very seriously. And although he says he hasn't had any, you're getting sacked eight, nine times a game. Getting hit double-digit times a game is bound to happen. So this has got to stop. Number two, all this offensive weaponry they have, they can't get a rhythm. Joe Burrow doesn't have time to throw. This past game, Cooper Rush was getting the ball out of his hand too quick. He was rated the quickest to get, a, you know, the quickest release last weekend. One point something seconds, they were something like that. Well, you know who was number two? Joe Burrow. Two point something seconds. One guy got sacked once. The other guy view a few hundreds of seconds later than the first guy 
he got sacked eight times. So something's got to be done. Frank Pollock, the finger has to be held at him, number one. Number two, Tony Pike brought this up in the since he's 360 today. Zach Taylor should be the head coach of the Bengals for lifetime. He should sign a lifetime contract with the Cincinnati Bengals to be the head coach. But what he should not be is the offensive coordinator anymore. His record, you know, we're, we're all looking at oh, the Super Bowl run. We were, you know, we almost won the Super Bowl. His record is like 16 and 32 overall. When he was uh, uh, offensive coordinator in college at Cincinnati, University of Cincinnati, his offense was 123rd out of 126 universities. That last sequence, when we had the ball yesterday with two minutes left, was atrocious. They came out with, it was three and out. I said the same thing I said in the Super Bowl as I did yesterday. We're going to win this thing. And what happened, just like the Super Bowl, the play calling was terrible. He's got to give up the play calling for this team. They, they got to get somebody else in there because it's not working. Why is Evans not in the game? He was in one offensive play yesterday. Why is P. Ryan over him? These uh, these questions have to be answered. These accusations got to be said to him by Mike Brown, Duke Tobin, or whatever. Enough's enough. Somebody else has to take over. You know, we're supposed to start off the first half of the season strong because the schedule only gets worse at the end. So... You know, we have to win these games in the beginning, starting this week with the Jets, because if not, we're going to be picking 10th, 11th again, missing a playoff, and it, it should not be with this talent. AFC North Standings. The Cincinnati Bengals are currently 0-2 and in fourth place in the AFC North. They trail the 1-1 Steelers, the 1-1 Ravens, and the 1-1 Browns. And the Bengals are currently the 15th seed in the AFC. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? Well... Not exactly living in a world of paradise after the first two weeks of the season, but I'm doing okay. How about you, Frank? I'm doing all right. It was a tough one to handle yesterday. What are your thoughts on the game? There's too many layers to this, Frank, and I'm not going to lie to you. This team is not playing very good football, and they don't even look like a playoff team. We've talked all offseason that, hey, this team was ready to kind of make an even stronger push into the playoffs, going back to the Super Bowl potentially, and maybe even winning and finishing a job this time. That They looked like it was going to probably be on a mission, but they don't perform like it. And it just – I really hate the thought process of just feeling like that the national media is right, that this team looks like that everybody has a book on them and that they figured them out. 
I can't stand it. I, I really can't stand what I'm watching from this team. But I do have a number of different takeaways. So we can definitely dive deep inside of it. Yeah, definitely. I would love to hear it. And I, I hear you on that. The national media wasn't on our side, and we were all set to prove them wrong. And after two weeks, we don't have a leg to stand on just yet. And even the opposition's fan bases and different oppositions, they're ready to see us fall too and then take a victory lap early after two weeks of the season. It just feels like as long as you're an opposing team going against the Bengals, as long as you have one disruptive pass rusher, you can beat the Bengals. And even if you don't have anything else going for you, as long as you have that, because it just feels like that we can't block anybody. Even after this revamped offensive line, we still can't protect and scheme different pass protections so that way we can take their best defensive pass rushes out the game and then so our office can then take over and unleash hell on these te- these people. It, it just seems like that we don't have an answer for anything after these first two weeks. Yeah, I got to tell you, I just, like you said, that one disruptive pass rusher just seems to ruin the game on us. We saw it with T.J. Watt in the first game. We see it with Micah Parsons in the second game. So, you're, you know, your point is definitely valid. What? is going on with Jesse Bates. Where's he at? Where's he been? I don't see him making plays over the field. It just feels like to me that he's he's slow to catch up because he's had this tumultuous offseason battling with the whole contract, which I stood for him and wanted him to get paid. But it just feels like that he's just playing very protective, protecting against the getting hit so that way he can catch the cash in later on. But what, do you, what what's going on with Jesse Bates? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of a couple things. I think you're right about the distraction with the contract from the offseason, and I think it's a little bit of rust. You know, the whole narrative was that he was staying in shape, he was hanging, you know, he was in the playbook, so he wasn't going to lose a step, but he wasn't getting a lot of those on-field reps, and it shows. And he, he made a couple errors last game. There were three, you know, definitive errors this game, including the touchdown pass that he let up early. I, I don't know. We don't we don't have the Jesse Bates that we're used to, and it's it's disturbing, and it, it's going to hurt us if it doesn't improve. It definitely does. And and with that being said, I'm not really sold on the coaches being able to utilize their best players or even potential new best players to come in and, you know, supplant him because Dax Hill was a guy that you drafted in the first round. He was a bright spot during the preseason and in training camp. Yet, I think if I remember correctly, he only played two snaps on defense. What what was that all about? I don't get that. And if we're talking defense, I'm also going to be 100% honest here. They really haven't been battle-tested yet this season so far. Yes, they did good on neutralizing Mitchell Trubisky and Cooper Rush for them to not have explosive offensive days. But those two teams, if we're being honest here, they're not good offensive teams. They're just not. Dallas... I have no disrespect to Cooper Rush. He did play an okay game for a backup quarterback. But Dallas literally has no one to throw to outside of maybe CeeDee Lamb. We made Noah Brown look like a legitimate number two option after we just we just let him run free in the secondary. On top of that, the Russian attack almost was there for the Dallas Cowboys, too. They got a little creative running the ball, too. Again, defense still buckled up a little bit and then stopped the winning they needed to. And I don't put the game all over the defense, but... You're going to have some bigger tests coming up here shortly. Starting next week against the New York Jets, they got a firepower of an offense themselves. And they might not be a great team in and of itself, but they have a great offense. Well, they have great players. I'll say that. They have some solid players that they can perform great at any given moment. We saw it last year. 
Then you got the Dolphins coming in in town on Thursday night football. And all of a sudden, after Tua just performed the way he did, throwing six touchdown passes and a massive comeback win against Baltimore, how do you think that's going to go? And then you, speaking of Baltimore, you got them the following week. So it just doesn't get any easier for them. And this game was really important. Do you want to know why this was really important to me, Frank? It's because the psyche of the Cincinnati Bengals brand. The Dallas Cowboys are the best brand in football. Actually, they're the biggest brand. They're always known as America's team. But this was the perfect setup for the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, you shook off one bad week last week during week one. You shook that off. The national media was waiting to watch you on CBS with Tony Romo and Jim Nance announcing this game. Most of the country is watching this particular game. This was supposed to feel like a coronation of Joe Burrow and the Bengals are back. Last week was not a good week, but they shook it off. They forgot all about it. They moved on. What a statement performance from the defending conference champs. Less ready. Less high low. Let's have a day. It didn't feel like that. And to do it against the Dallas Cowboys at that, too, to show you that, yes, they may have had the biggest brand of all of football, but our brand is pretty darn strong, too. And you and you let that one slip right in the bag, just like you let week one slip in the bag. It almost feels like that they let the Pittsburgh Steelers beat them twice. And that's what I see. That's why this game was so important to me prior to the roundtable when we were talking. And I said that the Bengals, one of the things that they have to do, they have to beat the Dallas Cowboys. They haven't beaten them since 2004. And now we got to wait until 2024 to see if they can potentially do it again. So it, it, it's not a good showing right now for the Cincinnati Bengals team. Am I in the panic button? No. But I'm getting very close that we're going to be hitting crisis mode if they were to drop another one on the road against New York Jets in Week 3. Without a doubt. If, if we go 0-3 with a loss to the Steelers with Trubisky, the Cowboys without Prescott, and then the Jets, who, yeah, they had a, a huge week last week, but they're still not an elite team, That's it's going to be tough to recover from that. Definitely. The way the AFC North is shaping up, I'm not going to overreact, but it just almost looks like that it was exactly what I predicated it on. It doesn't really look like the Cleveland Browns are going to really be in the thick of it towards the end of the year. They do have some great pieces, but I think that by the time they do get Deshaun Watson back, it's going to be a little too late for them. As far as the Pittsburgh Steelers go, they are better than what I anticipated as far as on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm just not sold on that team altogether. Their offense is just straight bad. They're not a good football team this year either, and we may look like one. Baltimore, on the other hand, looks explosive on offense. Lamar Jackson is looking like he's coming into this season ready to prove that, Baltimore, you should have paid me, and I'll play and play like that. I deserve the bag. But there's still some questions there, too, that maybe they're, they're going to somebody's going to catch up to them real soon, and it might actually be us. The Bengals, they just got to stop beating themselves. Like This is the second week in a row where you had the chance to just go ahead and then just put your foot on the, the opponent's neck and bury them in the dirt, and, and you didn't do it. You just did not do it for whatever reason, whether if it's play calling on Zach Taylor, whether if it's Frank Pollock in a blocking scheme, whether if it's the defense giving up certain solid big plays here and there, even though they've been okay, whatever the case may be, you need to button it up and fix it now. Because it's not going to get any easier coming down the stroke and coming down the stretch. And teams remember that you were just in the Super Bowl last season. You look like that you have a hangover from just being there, and then you thinking that you have something to prove. And these teams are showing you that hey, we can do this too. 
when we had a bad record a couple years back, it, it seemed to be a breakdown at some point in some phase of the game, whether the, one game the offense didn't do the job, one game the defense didn't do the job, one team it was a special teams lapse. And as you mentioned, we're, you know, we're seeing breakdowns everywhere in these first two games. And we got lucky because every team in our division lost, so we're only a game out and there's still plenty of time left. But it's definitely reason for concern. And then one final point that I just needed to bring up to you, Frank, is that can we please stop talking about this is a second-half football team? For once, I want to see a full-game performance. As I mentioned, this should have been a statement performance that the Bengals should have made almost borderline national TV on CBS. The Los Angeles Rams went out and played against the Atlanta Falcons and came out looking strong. Obviously, Atlanta made a nice little furious comeback that fell short, but at the end of the day, you had no questions or you had no doubts that the Los Angeles Rams were going to win that game. And they won very convincingly. The Cincinnati Bengals was in the exact same spot. This Dallas team is on as thin ice as you can possibly imagine. They don't have a starting quarterback. They lost two linemen, and then they're putting in backups. But when you saw them play, you didn't feel like that any of those guys were backups. By the way, we weren't getting really any pressure on them. They don't really have really anybody, as I mentioned, outside of Tony Pollard, Zeke Elliott, and CeeDee Lamb, maybe Dalton Schultz, maybe now Noah Brown, I guess. But outside of that, who scares you throwing down a field? Not really anybody. And then I mentioned, it's really, it's Cooper Rush throwing you the ball. You, you messed away your chances, and then we're going to attribute to, oh, well, we just a slow start, but we battled back in the second half. I'm done with that, okay? That part is getting really old to me. Do it for full four quarters now. Week 3 Preview, Cincinnati Bengals at New York Jets. All right, let's move on to the Jets game. So the Jets are a team that has a lot of momentum right now coming off that big win against Cleveland. And unfortunately, the Bengals are on a bit of a downswing because of the two losses in a row. So we're seeing a team that's on the rise with a lot of confidence, and we're seeing the Bengals in a little bit of a state of flux right now. And they were killing the Jets coach in New York media, so they really needed that win in New York. And I like Robert Sala. So it was a big win for him and a big win for that organization, and we have to make sure that we don't let them carry that momentum at home against the Cincinnati Bengals. So when you look at the Jets, they're going to be starting Joe Flacco, who we know he's a stationary target back there. He still has a strong arm. He's still making good decisions, but I think that he's someone that you can rattle a little bit. If you get some pressure on him, if his team makes some mistakes, if you get him with a couple turnovers, a couple big hits... I think that could really throw off his game. He's definitely one of those guys that pouts when things don't go his way. So we want to get to him early. This is a game where you don't want to start off slow. You want to really just put the pressure on early and keep the pressure on. And I think a way to do that, aside from our front four going off, I think that we should do some defensive back blitzes. Have some of the fast guys get in there. Hilton's very good at that. I want to see Von Bell do it. Let's bring in Dax Hill. Let's get him some time, have him blitz off the edge with that 4-3 speed, and just really get after Flacco and make him get rid of the ball in a hurry. Because if he can if he can sit back there and just with that tall frame and that good arm, he'll find people downfield. You saw how he did it last game. So that's going to be one of the keys to stopping him. And don't think that Mike White is not a snap away from coming in the game. 
if Flacco goes, I mean, I'm, I'm sure Mike White is preparing like he's a starter this game because of the success that he had against us last season. And if Flacco isn't having a good game, I wouldn't doubt that the Jets would put Mike White in there to see if they could recreate some of the magic of last season. So the Bengals actually need to prepare for both of these guys because it's a very strong possibility that White comes in if things aren't going well for them. Running back, they have two fresh leg guys there with Michael Carter and Brees Hall. Wide receiver, a very speedy group. Corey Davis and Elijah Moore on the outside, very fast. Garrett Wilson in the slot. Looks like he had his breakout game already in Game 2. The Ohio State fans out there know him really well, so look out for him because he had a big play to win that game, and he's got a lot of skill and a lot of talent. So watch for him to keep that going against the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 3. Braxton Berrios in the slot. They love to use him, too. He's more of a gadget guy. Watch out for him on jet sweeps and screens and using him creatively all over the field. When he's in there, watch out because they're going to try to get him the ball. C.J. Uzama, we'll see what happens with him. They haven't really used him that much, and I don't want this to become a C.J. Uzama revenge breakout game against us, although there's no reason for him to seek revenge against us because he's the one who left. It's not like we cut him. Offensive line, they did a lot to improve that offensive line, but it still has been underperforming. You have Noah Fant, Lakin Tomlinson. You have McGovern at center, Vera Tucker, and Mitchell at right tackle. So there's some vulnerabilities there. And I think that Hendrickson has a chance to have a big game. Reader, B.J. Hill, Sam Hubbard, and like I said, let's send some blitzing, some stunts. Let's confuse these guys. Strategically, when we're on defense, like I said, we want to intimidate Flacco into some mistakes. We want to get some hits on him. We want to force him into some turnovers. Number two, be aware of Garrett Wilson. They're going to try to keep that train rolling. And it's a mismatch with him on Hilton size-wise and... You know, Hilton's a great slot corner, but if you had to pick a vulnerability, it's in coverage. So that's something that you want to make sure that you shore up on and make sure that Garrett Wilson doesn't kill you this game. And when I look at the Jets and their roster, I view them as more of a speed team than a power team. So I think this is a game where you want to have more defensive backs in there than linebackers. You know, have your Dax Hill and your Flowers in there more than a third linebacker. Maybe even at times have just one linebacker in there and, and go to that, that two-safety look a lot more and don't let them beat you with their speed. Then defensively, they have John Franklin Myers on one side, old friend Carl Lawson on the other, Quentin Williams, who's an excellent interior defensive lineman, and Sheldon Rankins. So those guys can cause trouble just as a, as a group of four. C.J. Mosley's an excellent linebacker. They like to bring Jacob Martin off the edge. As far as the defensive backs, Sauce Gardner is their prized defensive back, and he's been doing well so far in the NFL, although a little undersized for the run game. They have Michael Carter manning the slot, and then you have Bryce Hall, Reed, Eccles as other corners that you'll see in there. Safety's not that strong of a tandem with Jordan Whitehead and LaMarcus Joyner, so there's vulnerabilities there as well. As far as strategy goes, I think in this game and the next game or two, until we figure out things with the offensive line, I think we need to focus on what teams are going to try to do to us rather than what we want to do to teams. And I know that's counterintuitive and you don't want to be defensive when you're on offense, but the way things have been going, we can't just say we want to throw long to Chase and Higgins all day because teams are going to be game planning against it. And you know the Jets are going to follow the formula of the Steelers and they're going to follow the formula of the Cowboys. So we need to prepare to beat a team that's going to play us like those defenses more than just coming up with creative plays that look good on the chalkboard. 
I'd like to see some creative runs. Let's do some jet sweeps. Let's do some sweeps in general with Mixon. Let's use motion. Let's use blockers in motion. Let's use some pre-snap shifts. We don't seem to be doing a lot of that to confuse teams. We're just kind of lining up and they can see what we're doing and where we're going. So let's get a little more creative and confusing in that sense. We want to see quick passing, obviously, just to protect Burrow until we figure out things with the line. And the biggest thing is roll out Joe Burrow. We, we had the touchdown this week when we rolled him out, and we haven't been doing it that much this year. I've been suggesting it every week. Please, Coach Callahan, if you're listening, Coach Taylor, let's go. Let's get Burrow on the move, not make him a target back there where they know where he's going to be. Move him around, and that's one of the keys to getting him hit less and one of the keys to having more success in the passing game. If they're going to be playing the Tampa 2 and a lot of zone, we want to flood the zone. So in other words, let's send a couple guys into a zone and make someone from one of the other zones come over. And that leaves that zone open if you can get someone into that. Or if they neglect to do that, now you have two guys in a zone and hopefully one of them breaks open. I'd like to use some two tight end sets, but that's going to depend on personnel, obviously, with Sample probably out for the year. And again, Boyd on the middle of the field against Michael Carter. I think that's another thing that we can exploit this game as well. Prediction? I'm not going to predict a million points for the Bengals this game because we haven't shown that yet. We've basically scored a touchdown each game. So I'm not going to go overboard and be too aggressive with my prediction. But I'm going to say that the Bengals are going to score a couple touchdowns, three field goals, and we're going to hold the Jets what we've been holding other teams to, which is right around the 20-point range. So I'm going to say 23-20 Cincinnati Bengals, 1-2, right in the divisional hunt, back on track, and we start the new chapter and get this season going. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Jets game and a preview of the Thursday night game against the Miami Dolphins. We're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.